The Bible is a collection of stories about a greater story. About the Son of Man, fully human, who was tempted and tried in the desert and found to be true. Of a miracle man, the Son of God, fully divine, who walked on the waters and calmed the stormy seas. Who willingly climbed the hill to his death, gave his life on the cross, bled and died for our sins and the salvation of a broken world. And we who believe are his church, his vessel of light and love to a needy people, we wait, hoping expectantly for the return of our Lord, our King, our Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. I want to thank the uh, worship team for, for leading us. And, uh, man, they just do such a good job every week. And I wanted to share this with you guys really quick about that, about the worship team. This is what's neat about them is, so the drummer lives in Sevierville, Seymour area. Uh, keyboard player lives up um, by the boondocks, the watershed up in Norris. And then uh, our worship leader, Priscilla. She lives out in Fountain City, the Broadway area, and then the bass player lives out by the Sea of Galilee around North Lake. And so I just say that to say this. We've just got, I mean, God's just doing such a geographical thing here. It's not just in this community, but it's just, it's just regionally. And so I'm just so excited about how God's bringing people from all over together. Yeah, celebrate it. Celebrate it. Here in our little city, God's just bringing what we need. So I'm just so, so grateful for all he's doing. Well, hey, if you've come in late and I've not met you, my name is Peyton. I'm the lead pastor here at City Lights Church, and I'm so excited about what God's doing. Just a great day for us here to, to worship him, to give him glory, to know him. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, you're not sure what you think about that, that's okay. There's no prerequisite to be a part of this church. Um, God is greater than your unbelief. God is greater than our skepticism, and so we welcome you here. There's no prerequisite. In fact, we say this, we'll meet you where you are. What that means is regardless of what you think, regardless of what you believe or how you feel or your past, you're welcome here. We want to be a church that Jesus would be the pastor at, and so that's what we're trying to do here. And speaking of just everything going on, can you believe it's October already? I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, it's just crazy October, and what that means is this, is that I have this reminder app on my phone, and for some reason it's I just... It tells me, like, how far away Thanksgiving and Christmas are. You know, like, starting, like, in January, it's like, all right, you've got 364 days for Christmas is here. And one of the things that I love about the holidays, one thing I love about the holidays is uh, the food. Can I get an amen? Just eating, you know, and having to repent after I eat, you know what I mean? Just that kind of, like, asking, ask for forgiveness before I sin. You know, God forgive me for what I'm about to do. Um, and I love it. One of the things at my family's house when we gather to eat, if somebody wants to come or... Or there's just some kind of, you know, hey, this so-and-so's coming. We always say this. Hey, tell them to come on because there's enough for everybody. Anybody's family ever said there's enough for everybody? We're in this part, we're in this Jesus series. And this morning I want to take some time to talk with you about there's enough for everybody. And uh, we've got a big buffet back here we're going to bring out. And no, I'm just kidding. That's not true. I want to talk about there's enough for everybody. And, and keeping that mindset of, you know, family gatherings, how there's always enough to eat there. Um, there's enough for everybody. As we continue in the series this morning, I think it's really important that we understand uh, that what we're going to see today, when we talk about there's enough, we're talking about God's love for you, for everybody in here. And I had a 
the privilege, the opportunity to teach on this scripture about two years ago. What I love about God's word, though, is that you can look at it one day and then the next time see something different. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I'm going to kind of flip the script a little bit on, on how I've taught this, but we're going to look at two different passages that point to one simple truth. And that's going to be that there's enough for everybody. Hang with me, okay? I'm so excited to share this message with you. In 1806, something happened called the Haystack Revival. 1806, the Haystack Revival, there were five men. Uh, James Richards, Francis Robbins, uh, Harvey Loomis, um, Byram Green, and is that four or five? That's four? Dang it, I thought I had them memorized. Yeah, Byram Green, Byram Green, Francis Robbins, Samuel Mills. In 1806, they're at Williamstown College in, in Massachusetts. And 1806, so 109 years ago. They are out praying in a grove under a maple tree. They had a weekly prayer meeting, just five guys. It doesn't take a lot. just takes a small group, right? They're out praying in a grove under a maple tree, and this severe thunderstorm comes up. And they run into a nearby barn and hide under a haystack. And this whole prayer meeting that they were having was so that God would give them a heart to share the gospel with the nations. Now listen, we are not 100% there yet, but I pray that God would break out a haystack revival here, that we would get out and just share our faith with people. And listen, one of the problems in our culture is everybody expects me to do it. I'm telling the truth. It's my, it's my responsibility to do that. And what we must understand is that no Christian, no Christ follower is exempt from sharing your faith. It's not God understands, I'm not good at talking. That's what Moses said. So this haystack revival, they're praying, this severe thunderstorm comes, and they're just asking God, give us a heart to share the gospel with the nations. Many years later, Byram Green, a man who was a part of that prayer meeting, he said this. He said, when we first went to the grove expecting to hold our prayer meeting there, but a dark cloud was rising in the west, and it soon began to thunder and lightning. And we left the grove and went under the haystack to protect us from the approaching storm. The subject of conversation under the stack before and during the shower was the moral darkness of Asia. Samuel Mills proposed to send the gospel to that dark and heathen land, and he said that we could do it if we would. Do you know that, Sale? It's true today that you can take the gospel to your neighbors where you live, work, and play if you'll just do it. Now, here's what's incredible. They, this is no, it's, I mean, it's, it's a very doctrinal thing, this haystack revival, what happened, because they, they had the heart for Asia, then six years later, on the first trip of Americans leaving to go to Asia, were two great names that would change our world forever. The first one, first one was a guy named Luther Rice. Check out that sweet hair, ladies. <laughs> Luther Rice was a missionary in India. And after God stirred his heart and he came back home, he began to raise funds and money for missions. And he established what we now call the Southern Baptist Convention. There was another great man that would just change the world with the gospel, and his name was Adoniram Judson. He was a young man when he went. He came from a normal family. There was, it wasn't like he was just born with a theological degree. They were just normal people praying in, in, uh, under a maple tree in a grove that said, God, give me a heart for the gospel. You do realize that God is not just confined to four walls of a church, that God can move outside of here. It happened to these men. Under a haystack. Let me tell you what's incredible about Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to this place called Myanmar. 
which is what we call modern-day Burma. If you look on a map, it's bordered by China and Thailand. He was there for many years, and he took the gospel to Myanmar when it was not there. Now, this may be hard to believe because this is 109 years ago that this country had never heard of the gospel. Did you know today, right now, there are 2 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus? They don't even know his name. This morning, you will hear the word proclaimed, and I'm going to challenge you to do something about it. Brittany, 2 billion, not million, 2 billion people have never even heard his name. And because of men like Adoniram Judson, I want to introduce you to a young lady named Nizi. Now, back in 2010, I went to the smallest Bible college in the world. It's literally like this big. I'm serious. Up in Pineville, Kentucky, about 20 or 25 minutes past LMU. And on my freshman day of orientation, I see Nizi. And I would go on to have multiple classes with her, sit, sit right beside her, have lunch with her and her friends. And, and let me tell you what's interesting about Nizi. She's from a place called Burma, where Adoniram Judson went and shared the gospel. And because he was bold enough and obedient to go share his faith, 109 years later, I sat beside this girl whose country just heard Jesus for the first time. So let's back it up a little bit. Because five ordinary men went to go pray under a maple tree, a thunderstorm broke out, but they didn't say, ah, well, gotta go. It's time to go home, but I gotta grab my lunch. No, they kept going. So they found cover under a haystack, and Samuel Mills said, hey, we can take the gospel there if we'll just do it. That inspired two men, Luther Rice, who helped establish the Southern Baptist Convention, this Adoniram Judson who had the guts to go. And because of that, Nisi met Jesus, and I sat beside her in Pineville, Kentucky. I want you to know this morning that there's enough for everybody. You just got to move. You got to respond to the gospel, and you got to go. You've got to go. There's got to be a sense of urgency. This morning, we're going to look at two particular sets of passages. It's going to be more of a teaching message, but if I can get fired up, I may preach a little bit. Would that be okay? Three of you are good with that? Yeah. Listen, I tell you all this every week. We are recording a live podcast right now, so when you clap, it has to be loud, okay? There's a story... In the New Testament, of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there's also a story of the feeding of the 4,000. Now, what's interesting about this is that not all Gospels tell both stories. Some think that there's a feeding of the 5,000 and there's a feeding of the 4,000. Some think that it was a mistake when they, caught, when they told the story of the 4,000. That somewhere it just got messed up, that it was actually the same thing, and that just told two different accounts. But I'm going to teach you this morning and preach, and show you why I believe it's different, and ultimately, we're going to take these two different stories and point to one simple truth, and I believe if you will be receptive to what God wants to speak, revival could break out in here this morning. You do know, listen, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but revival does not happen just because you schedule a preacher on a calendar. Who can bring revival but God alone? I want to set up the context for where we're going this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6. If you have it on your phone, you can open it up. If you don't have one, don't feel guilty. Uh, we will just have it up on the screen for you, which, by the way, if you don't have a Bible or if you know someone that doesn't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. You can stop by the Next Steps table out there, and we'll give you one for free. 
We'll give you one for free. So we're in Mark chapter 6. I want to set up the context real quick so you know that we're going. There's a man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has just been beheaded by King Herod. Jesus and the disciples, they've been on the move. The very beginning of this chapter is when Jesus goes to his hometown and basically he just, just gets dishonored. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him. Now he sees, he calls John the Baptist the greatest man ever born to woman. So you can imagine the emotions that he feels. His disciples are tired. Jesus is tired and he says, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side of the lake and let's rest. Let's go to a remote place and rest. But what happens is this. As they're crossing the lake and they come ashore, this huge crowd just followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Let me be clear on this. God has called me to lead this church, but you're to follow Jesus, not me. Amen? You're to follow Jesus, not me. Let me point him to you. Paul told the church in the Corinthians, he said, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. So I want you to come with me, but I want you to follow him. So as they come ashore, this huge crowd shows up. We're in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. You guys ready to hear a word from God this morning? I'm excited to teach it. Mark 6, verse 34, it says, So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd, and listen, he had compassion on them. The word compassion is only used in the New Testament by or about Jesus. He had compassion on them, listen, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's, pay attention to this. Then he began to teach them many things. Instead of being angry, he showed compassion on them. Jesus was tired and worn out. His family had just been beheaded. And it says that he had compassion on them. Listen, why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's very important if you take notes to understand that here Jesus was first concerned about them spiritually before he was physically. Verse 35. When it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is a wilderness and it's already late. Verse 36. Listen to what they said. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. This is typical cultural Christianity mindset. You see a problem, but you don't want to help. You're fully capable of helping, but you don't want to get yourself into the mess. They acknowledge, hey, there's this, and the New Testament says it all throughout, hey, if you have the Father's goods in you, and you don't turn around and help people, how can you say that the love of God resides in you? And that's what we see here. They acknowledge this problem. And they're like, hey, you know what? You're actually just kind of an inconvenience to us. So they go to Jesus and tell him, hey, why don't you, if you don't mind, send them away. See, it was an inconvenience because, listen, the disciples said, hey, it's already late. It's past my bedtime. And you know how grumpy I get when it's past my bedtime. And this place is a wilderness. Meaning, how are we going to take care of them here? You do realize that if you're a Christ follower, that God's going to put people in your life and it's going to be an inconvenience for you to help them. Least we forget, lest we forget, you're an inconvenience to somebody else as well. Right? There's going to be times where God puts people in your path and he's going to have you, you're going to have the provision, you're going to have the ear to listen to help them, but it's going to be an inconvenience. You're going to have worked 50 hours that week, and you're not going to feel like answering the phone call at 8.30. Aren't you glad that God never rejects your call? Aren't you glad that God had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd? Am I the only one that's excited about this? Cool. Me and Jeff are. Good. 
Verse 37. They tell him to send them away, and look what Jesus says. He says, no, you give them something to eat, buddy. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now, what you have to understand is this. A denarius was basically, it was almost a dollar's wage for an agricultural worker in the first century. So 200 denarii is almost the equivalent of eight months' salary. So I imagine when the disciples say this, that there's a little sarcasm there. Because remember, it's late, they're in the wilderness, they have nothing. They're like, hey, what do you want us to do? Take all our money and go buy them something to eat? Verse 38. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Verse 39, just keep rolling with me. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups. Listen to this descriptive writing. People sit down on the green grass. Makes you think, okay, it's got to be spring or summer, right? I love the descriptive writing of Mark here. Verse 40, so they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Then he broke the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. Listen, he kept, he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. When Jesus asked these disciples, he said, how many loaves do you have? You would think, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind here. Okay, so Jesus really doesn't know? Well, he was fully human and he was full of man, but let me tell you what I kind of think that what's going on here is, Sometimes God's going to, he's going to ask you what you have, not so that he knows what he's working with, but so that you know what you gave him when he blesses you and multiplies it. That's a good word. What I'm saying is this, is there's going to be times where he wants you to see you gave him so little, but he turned it into so much. Has anybody ever given God a little bit and been given a lot back? So it wasn't really for his knowledge, Caitlin. He wanted the disciples to see, hey, I'm fixing to blow your mind here, and you need to be aware of what's happening. I know what you've got. In fact, it doesn't matter what you've got. And really, here's the message today. You may only have a couple loaves. You may have very little to give Jesus. You may have very little to offer him, but he's saying, give me what you've got and watch me multiply. Dustin, give me the faith the size of a mustard seed and watch what I can do in your marriage. Watch what I can do in this community. Watch what I can do through this church. Watch what I can do in our school systems. If you'll just give me what you've got, hallelujah. When they gave him what they had, it says that he kept giving. He's a good, good father who's generous. He kept giving. When we withhold, Heather, he keeps giving. When you refrain, when you pull back trust, he keeps giving. He kept giving. Verse 42. Everyone, everyone ate and was filled. Then they picked up 12 baskets. If you're a note taker, write down the number 12 there. Twelve baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. And then verse 44. Now those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. If you also take notes, write down that number, 5,000. That word men there in original language is translated males. So potentially there could be fifteen to 20,000 people there. If you want to just break it down to like the way, way shooting low, if half of these men were married, that's 7,500. If half of them had kids, that's 9,000. But you figure the average family, even back then, had multiple kids. It's very possible for it to have been 20,000 people. He's good. He'll blow your mind if you'll just give him a little bit of what you got. 
if you take notes, keep, keep that 12 baskets and keep that 5,000 there because we're going to come back and kind of pick that apart a little bit. Now, there, that's the feeding of the 5,000. This is kind of a studious message, okay? So I, I need you to hang with me. Just 47 verses later, we're going to read a story in just a moment about how Jesus fed the 4,000. Now, a lot of scholars, as I mentioned, believe that this is a story that was just somehow got mixed together with the first one, and Mark got it wrong. However, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, mentions it as well. Now, I don't want to kind of go over your head, but a lot of people think that maybe Matthew was, he took Mark's Gospel and just added to it, because Mark is the shortest Gospel, is the first Gospel written. And if you're writing on a paper, is it easier to make something shorter or to make it longer? It's easier just to add to it instead of take away. It's just a thought. What I believe, though, is that it was intentional, and that we're going to see some symbolic significance here that you can't really see at face value. What Jesus is doing here is he's showing how he has made provision for the love of God to reach everybody. If you guys are with me, say, I am. This is Mark chapter 8, 47 verses later, okay? 47 verses. Jesus' whole ministry was only three years, so potentially, at, a, at the most, this is only a couple of months later. At the most, six months, if you want to be generous. You're going to need to know that because we're going to point that out. Mark 8, verse 1. In those days, there was again, interesting that Mark uses that word, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He summons the disciples, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Now listen to what he says because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. Do you remember why he had compassion on the first crowd? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, which is suggestive of these lost people just came up to him right then. Now this group is saying that they've been there for three days. I think something that Jesus is trying to tell us here is it does not matter how long you've been with him, if you've been with him for years, or you just find him today that he's willing to extend his compassion to those who are in need. I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days. Three days is also symbolic of the resurrection. There's some sing- Listen, when it, if, you're, if you're... Biblical numerology is not something to miss. When the Bible mentions numbers, the author is trying to tell us something that you can't always see, but you need to pay attention to, okay? It's not in there because he couldn't think of another word. I don't know if you're like me, but if I'm ever sending an email or using Facebook, if there's a word that I want to use that I don't know how to spell, I'll just completely remove it and put something in a lot easier. You know what I'm talking about? That's not what he's doing here, okay? It's on purpose. Listen to verse 3. If I send them home hungry, notice the first group he was concerned about their spiritual being. Now, because they've been with him, he's concerned about their physical being. There is a time. When you need to pray for somebody to get better, and there's a time where you need to pay and help somebody get better. There's a time to pray for the homeless person sitting off Cedar Bluff exit, and there's also a time to go to McDonald's and buy something to eat. That is the gospel, okay? That is the gospel. It's both and, spiritually and physically. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long Distance. A few things to point out. There was again a large crowd. Jesus focuses, focuses this time on their physical need. This crowd has already been with him. And Jesus has compassion on both. One of the greatest things that hinders Christians from coming to Christ 
continuing to grow is because you've been with him and you're aware of what his standard is for you and you feel guilty for going to him. Because most of the times you know better. But he is willing to extend his compassion no matter if you've been with him for multiple years or just one day. Verse four. His disciples answered him. Now listen, okay. Where can anyone get enough bread in this desolate place to fill these people. This verse deserves our time, okay? This one deserves our time a little bit. Would you not say, I mean, listen, 47 verses ago, potentially just a couple months ago, they witnessed him potentially feed up to fifteen to 20,000 people. Would you remember something like that if you witnessed that? Now, let me ask you something. Do you think it's ridiculous that they would even ask such a question like that? Yes or no? Hold up a minute. Don't you and I do the exact same thing, though? Haven't you seen the hand of God on your life, and then the next time the storm comes, you wonder if he's going to get you out of it? I'm preaching now. I'll set you up for it. I'm good. I knew I was going there. You didn't. It's the truth. We do the exact same thing. We've seen the hand of God on us. We know that he can restore marriages, yet we give up. We know that he can multiply our finances, but we keep it tied in our pocket. We know that God can help us overcome all things, but yet we try to control all things. I'm so glad that the Bible is honest when it talks about just the faults and failures and flaws of men. See, it would, it would seem ridiculous to think that. Why would they even ask that? But you and I do the exact same thing. This is what's crazy. You'll trust him that your faith will get you to heaven, but it can barely get you to church on Sunday. I know that sounds like a legalistic thing, but trust me, it is not. Many of us believe that our little bitty faith, which is really all it takes, will get us somewhere in eternity, but everything else we just want to hold on to and put in our back pocket. We do the exact same thing. We've seen God move tremendously in our lives. Yet the one thing that we can't handle, we begin to doubt and trust him. Can he fix my marriage? Can he help my kids? Can he help me overcome my financial problems? Can he help me with my insecurities? Can he help me with my doubt? This is us right here, by the way. It's not just them. It's us. Verse 5, here we go again. I bet Jesus is like, are you serious, dude? How many loaves do you have, he says. How many loaves do you have, he asks them. If you're taking notes, you need to write down that seven loaves right there. Again, this wasn't so that Jesus knew what he was working with. It was so that disciples could see what they gave him. And when they saw what he would do with it, they would remember how much he multiplied it. I don't know if you know this or if you're hearing this, but I just feel like the, the, I feel the spirit, the anointing of God on me to say this, that if you will just give him a little bit, he will multiply it and make it a lot. If you'll just check your inventory like the disciples and you'll just give him a little bit, Priscilla, just give him a little bit. Just give him a little bit, Angela, and he will multiply it. Verse six, listen, then he commanded this time, then he commanded the crowd to sit down on the, Ground. Where did the other group sit at? Remember the green grass. So is this a different time of season? Most likely. There's also some thoughts that I'm going to point out in just a minute, but there's some contrast here. 
Taking seven loaves, he gave thanks. He broke the loaves, and here again, he multiplied. He kept on giving them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served the loaves to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and when he blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were filled. Then they collected seven large baskets. You need to write that down if you take notes. Remember last time they just collected 12 baskets. This time they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. Verse 9, about 4,000 males were there. 12 to 16,000 this time. There's some really strong symbolic truths here that I want to point out to you. Do you guys want to learn something just for a minute? Anybody want to feel a little bit more educated when you leave? Or a little bit more dumb one if, you, if I can't teach it right. The symbolic significance is this. The feeding of the 5,000 represents the Jews. The feeding of the 4,000 represents the Gentiles. Now hang with me here. Back in the first century. And basically today, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay? That's not an STD for some of you. are like, what is that? Five thousand is for the Jews. The feeding of the four thousand is for the Gentiles. The five loaves that were fed for the the Jewish community represent what we call the Pentateuch, the Book of the Law: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which is forgiven for the Jewish people. Are you guys with me? Okay. The seven loaves in biblical numerology is a number that represents completion. How long did it take God to complete the earth? Six, and He rested on the seventh, which was. Listen, I know what you meant. We're good. But seven represents completion. Meaning this, you know what the Bible says? That It says there's a narrow path, and there's also a broad one, right? Would you agree that there are more? Would you say that there are less people in this world that know Jesus? Would you say that's true compared to those who know him more? There are less people. If a third of the population has never heard of his name, We must understand that there are more people who don't know him than do. So these seven loaves, it's representative of completion that Jesus is saying, hey, I have made provision for the whole world to hear the whole gospel. The 12 baskets of leftovers represent the 12 tribes of Israel or one for each disciple saying that he's got provision for his chosen people. Now, the seven large baskets, this is really cool. This is really, really cool. So when the author Mark there uses this word basket, in the Greek, he's literally talking about what you would call a hamper, what you take on a picnic. But remember, he, now he uses this different word for, it says seven large baskets. Pull up Acts chapter 9, verse 25. This is the same word that he's using there. But this is talking about Paul when he's trying to escape. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket, through an opening in the wall. So, so there's this symbolic truth that Mark is saying when there was seven large baskets, he's not talking about hampers. He's talking about something large enough to lower a man through, which is representative that God is making provision for all people to come to him, that there's enough of his love for everybody. It is not just for somebody. It is for Lottie Dottie everybody. I'm just preaching. I'm just preaching. He has made provision. So this symbolic truth, what he's saying here is that, listen, I'm going to meet physical needs, and I'm going to meet spiritual needs, but it's going to be for everybody, Brian, regardless of what your past is, regardless of where you've been, regardless of how righteous you think you are. 
good news, right? Is that good news? Yeah, let's celebrate it then. That's good news. It's good news. The number four in the 4,000, a lot of scholars also think from the 4,000 represents the four corners of the earth, north, south, for you, east, and west. God has made provision for all of humanity. Do you know why it's a sense of urgency that we have a haystack revival here? That we share our faith? No matter where you've been, whether you've been with Jesus for years, days, or months, or today you think you'll meet him for the first time, he is willing to extend compassion because he has made provision for all his people. And just so we're clear, I want to do just get one little jab in there. Everybody needs his compassion. None is more holy than he. None is more righteous than him. We all need his compassion. The problem with many of us, the problem who will be listening to this podcast, for those who are alive here today, what prevents us from experiencing his compassion is that we oftentimes carry around the weight of shame and guilt in our problems on us. And you feel too dirty before to go before a holy God. I know it's true because I'm a Christian as well. I'm a Christ follower as well. Being a pastor does not exempt me from sin or having problems. We oftentimes cannot enjoy the good, good Father because of the weight that we carry on us of our shame. A couple months ago, we have that bag, Amber. A couple months ago, my wife and I, and my daughter, and my little boy, that was him just singing back there. We went on a vacation. We went camping down in Florida for, for two weeks. It was awesome. I'd never taken a two week vacation before. And it was one of those ones where I thought, like, okay, I'm going to be ready to come home day nine, be stuck for five more days. But it was, I think I shared this with you. It was day three, and I, remember, I realized by dinner time I hadn't even brushed my teeth yet. It was one of those just a good vacation. But I can. So we stayed in Panama City for seven or eight days, and then we went to this place called St. Joseph Peninsula State Park, which is about an hour south of Panama City. And just before y'all start thinking this pastor's rich, well, listen, we pulled a camper, okay, and we stayed in campground, so it wasn't we didn't hire a one. We were blessed though. We are blessed. This church takes care of us, and God's been faithful. We have partnering churches that help support me, and God's been good. But we were on this trip, and we were down there in St. Joe State Park, and it was just beautiful. You know, it was the beach, and, man, it wasn't that crowded, perfect weather. And we'd been down there for a little while, and it was time for us to go back, and Harper's playing in the sand. And this is her little toy bag. And uh, in it, she's got, like, shovel, some sand toys, they still have sand on them. Uh, Sharkies, anybody been to Sharkies in Panama City? We went out to eat there. You know, I'm really, I'm kind of nervous because I don't know what's in here actually, but just all kinds of, all kinds of toys and, and sand toys. And I begin to say, Harper, it's time to go. We got to go back to the camper. You know, we got to get ready and we got to go. And she begins to throw everything in there. And you, know, you have to tell them a thousand times because all she wants to do is play, 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 play. And we begin to carry our stuff and I was like, hey, do you want me to help you? And she said, no, Daddy. I don't carry my own. So, you know, little sweet, precious, you know, thing. She 
I don't know if I can actually get this on me because I'm a little bigger than her, but she throws this bag on her. Now, listen, this bag is not heavy at all for a grown man or woman. But we begin to walk up in the sand, you know, we're carrying everything. It's quite, it's quite a bit of walk. And I noticed just like a few feet into it that her face is getting really, really red. For her, it's heavy. I said, baby, do you want me to help you carry that? She said, no, daddy. I said, okay. And so I'm just walking, you know, really, really, really slow with her, just, just watching her. And I, I'm seeing, this guy, if you don't have kids, it's going to be hard to imagine. If you do have kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's just one of those moments with my little baby girl where I just wanted time to freeze for a little bit longer. And the farther we get to walk, you know, the sand, it's so hard to walk in. We've got flip-flops on. Her face is getting red. And I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, my God, she can't even enjoy the views because she's got all this crap on her back. But see, to her, it was very, very important what she had in this bag. This morning, many of you are carrying stuff on your back that's really, really important to you, but at the end of the day, Sarah, it means nothing. To you, it's the weight of the world. If you don't have this, then your identity is forsaken. You are not as much a woman or man. And I'm just sitting there watching her. And, I, and I'm watching her. I keep asking her, you know, Harper, do you want me to help you? She said, no, Daddy, no, Daddy. She, now she, her face is really red. Her head, she's holding her head down. It's really, really heavy for her. Kind of like you do sometimes when you carry around stuff you feel like it's important to you. It weighs you down. And I'll never forget it. She's got her eyes just like her mama. She looked up at me and she said, Daddy, will you help me carry this? And I said, yes. I've been waiting for you to ask me. The church this morning, you're carrying around some things that they seem important to you, but they're really not. And the Father's just waiting for you to ask Him to help. Because He has made provision there is enough for everybody there's enough for everybody you don't have to carry around the weight of your past you don't have to carry around the weight of your sin your shame your struggles he's a good good father I love what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28 he said come to me say this with me all Let's say it again. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some of you, you need rest in the Father this morning. You need rest in the Father. You need to come to Him and give Him your problems. He says, come to me. Look, there's no prerequisite. He says, just come. Not how many scriptures do you know. Not how much money have you given the offering plate. Not how faithfully have you attended church. Not how perfect you are or what kind of family you come from. He just says, come to me, all of you, everybody, and I will give you rest. Do you believe that the Father is able to provide for His children this morning? Have you experienced His provision? Can we celebrate if you've experienced it? If you've not, God wants to give it to you this morning. Stand with me. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He is our good, good Father. Oh, I do not.